92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Well, Ellen Tad is an internationally known clairvoyant counselor who's been teaching and counseling for more than 30 years, and she's widely respected for the integrity of her work, and you'll know this from reading her book, too, uh, the accuracy of her perceptions and guidance and the clarity and usefulness of her teaching. Her work has been supported by the Edgar Casey Foundation, the Marion Institute, Deepak Chopra, Child Spirit Institute, the Institute of Noetic Sciences, and the Boston Center for Adult Education, among many others. And her first book, Death and Letting Go, appeared on the Boston Globe bestseller list. And today we're so happy to have her join us right here on Big Blend Radio to talk about her brand new book. And I think this is so empowering. I encourage everyone to go and get it. It's called The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on Earth. Uh, you can get it on Amazon, all those great places online and bookstores. Uh, but also go to her website and connect with her there. It's ellentad.com, and that's T-A-D-D, so two D's in there, ellentad.com. She's on Facebook and Twitter as well. Ellen, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. It's, it's great to be with you. And uh, hey. it's wonderful to hear how enthusiastic you are about my book. You know, we are very enthusiastic. And, you know, I started reading it, and I was like, this is deep. And I, I feel like, you know, and then I've read, I've got like 20 more pages to go. And and it's like, wow, this is so cool because it, it makes me feel personally that I'm not nuts on some of the experiences I've had and, and I think that if you're observant and allow things to feel and you resonate with things and give yourself time you start to feel things and then you go okay am I weird or what um, but there's intuitive is it gut instinct but your book really puts it into a perspective that we can all understand and take action and better that and um, really actually understand things, but it's, it's, you've got work in there. So it's not like, it, it's, it's not a like, hey, read it overnight and, and now you're going to have the best life in your world. You, you're giving us exercises, like how to actually use our third eye and tap into that. And actually when I did that exercise, it makes me feel really good. And I want to do more of it, but it's like you really, I, I'm going to go back and read it again just because there's so much value in the book. I had one woman who interviewed me who said she read it twice, and the first time she read it for the stories, and the second time she read it to really get yes. the tools and the exercises. And mm. it, it's really a combination of both. Um, the narrative helps people understand how I came to these conclusions and what brought me into this work. And then the tools really are practical because what I most want to do for people is to help facilitate direct experience. I don't want people just to believe me, but if you practice some of the tools in the book, then it becomes much easier to have direct spiritual experiences. Mm. And I think we all experience um, things that happen that we can't explain so we may talk about them, ask questions, or not tell anybody, not talk about them be, for fear of being laughed at, or you know maybe they'll put you in a in you know a home somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's a lot of people who would benefit from reading a book where they they can maybe begin to understand different feelings they've had and sort out the what I call the very human experience because I think we're we're basically brought up to not feel certain things or, or not entertain and not be open. You know, and that, and it has to do with religion a lot of times and it has to do with um fear of fear of being able 
to say, I don't know what just happened, but it, this is what I saw, this is what I felt, and not worry about everybody clamoring and telling you you're nuts or you need a doctor or something. Hmm. I think we've well, taught ourselves well, to be so closed I w- off. You know, when I started having dramatic experiences, well, you know, my story is as a child I had clairvoyant experiences, but I was raised by my father who was a physicist, and so I grew up in a scientifically oriented household, and he um, thought I had a vivid imagination, and Mm -hmm. That was confusing for me, and my watershed event was that my mother came back and talked to me after Mm. she died, and I was 19 at the time, and that changed everything. Then I stopped fighting my natural sensitivity, and I started having a lot of experiences, and just as you said, it was hard to interpret them, but I did learn and figure out very quickly that I needed to become a meditator and that having the skill of deep meditation really can help help you to understand mm-hmm. and validate experiences that are not culturally explained or culturally common. Mm. And and I think this is what's so timely right now and important. Um you know, your meditation is throughout your book. I mean, everything is, you know, it, it is all connected in that. Even, you know, you talk about yoga and all, all kinds of things like that, but it's, it, meditation is connected. And it's, for me, it's, it's, it's interesting because when we talk about culture, I grew up in a different culture uh, as, a, as a very young child in, in L.A., then, you know, a year and a half, two years old, ended up in Africa in the bush living with two different tribes. And, it was way and cool. <laughs> over there, there is a lot of things what we wouldn't say is meditation, but it is. Mm. Um, there's a lot of practices and um, understanding of looking at the little things around you, because if you don't, you're going to step on a scorpion or a snake or something, you know. So there's this attention to detail, yet at the same time, this balance of being free. And this is what, for me, reading your book brought me home in that, yeah, we have to work on who we are, we have to do these things, but there's this freedom that's attached and it's balancing these two things. And in this country now, I think we've got a, I think people are opening up and, and more receptive than they have been over the last 20 to 30 to 40 years. So I think it's really timely. And at the same time, people want to have these answers. I mean, being connected to the world of spirit or the natural world and actually your inner who you are, I don't think that it's a new thing. This has been going on for centuries, hasn't it? I mean, it's this is this is who we are. Yes, yes, we've been spirit. We've always been spirit and and then human. I had uh, one of the stories I tell in my book is the story of watching my son be born. And meeting him in his etheric or spirit form before uh, he was born and his energetic body dissolved and then a beam of white light entered into the new child and in a couple of hours he was born. And this is what we've all done. We've all traversed the spiritual world and entered into the physical world and this is Um, important because I find that when we only think of life as a material world and a human experience then then it's really a tragedy but from Mm -hmm. a spiritual Mm -hmm. perspective and this is the infinite view the infinite view is another way of saying a spiritual perspective then Mm -hmm. there are reasons why we're here there there are reasons we're here to learn and to contribute as well as to enjoy the physical senses but this Mm -hmm. really shifts the kinds of questions we ask rather than what do i want the question becomes why am i here what Mm -hmm. am i here to learn so it shifts the emphasis and it shifts the priorities to be quite different and i feel that the cultural conditioning has been that happiness is getting what we want. And Mm. if we don't get what we want, we feel sad or mad or hurt. But if you Mm -hmm. see fulfillment really as actualizing our spiritual nature, 
then we stop being victims of circumstance and we start becoming more and more empowered. Mm. In reading through your book, you, you get into the nitty-gritty of this. I mean, you talk about desire versus fear. You know, our highest desires mm. are this, but our highest fears are the same thing. They're this, you know, they're, they're these parallel lives that we're leading. And I wonder, it's like as we go away from the spiritual world, and, and I feel like we've disconnected from nature in a lot of ways, just oh, as if so. you look at major societies and how we've become this materialistic side like you're talking about. The more we go this way, the less we're actually in tune, and then we're not feeling like we're contributing to anything. So that's when we spiral out of this part of what we're supposed to be here is part of love, right? We are supposed to be here to contribute, to learn and do, but we now look at what we're doing and contributing um, is a it is materialistic. Are we going to get the new car? Did you know Polly go to this school? You know that kind of thing. Instead of looking at the real important good stuff. Yes, and it's not that I don't love beautiful things. I do. I define materialism as valuing material things above spiritual principles. So then what happens is imbalance follows. But I always say that we're here to learn, we're here to contribute, and we're here to enjoy. And it's mm. the three parts. Um, I, I emphasize in my book, I mean, my, my material has come from my communication with beings from the spiritual world. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's been an extraordinary education. And as I said, I, I grew up in an academic family. And when I started having experiences and being taught by beings in the spiritual world, I actually dropped out of college. And that was a terrible thing to do in my family. I remember, you know, <laughs> One, um, you know, the treasurer of my college saying, your ideas are great, but you're going to find you're not going to be able to earn a living. And I Mm -hmm. said, well, we'll see. And it wasn't that I didn't get educated. I got extremely educated, but I got educated in an unusual Mm -hmm. fashion. I was Mm -hmm. educated by etheric beings who taught me philosophy of life and the meaning of my life, as well as helping me to prepare to become a teacher to others. And now I've been teaching for many years. So this book is a very practical book, but it's mm-hmm. also a profound book. And we all know that our world is is in a challenging time. Mm-hmm. And I feel that the tools in this book can be extremely helpful. Isn't it, do you feel like um, the challenges that we face today of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. You know, it seems like it's coming to uh, uh, a crisis in that is you know it's the have the have nots the i believe this or i don't and you know it it's kind of like we're continually shouting at each other and nobody's really listening to the other side and we've already you know formed our battlegrounds and there's like this this kind of rhetoric that I mean, name-calling, and, and it just goes on and on and on in politics today, and it and it filters down to the rest. Of, you know, it 
you know, I'm like, has the world just gone completely nuts? And But haven't we been pushing this agenda for many years to get to the brink of, you know, the people who feel that peace is the way and the people who feel, oh, let's just bomb the hell out of them. You know, that that syndrome that we were, now we've come face to face with ourselves is what I'm trying to say. And what what we're looking at isn't all that great sometimes. Well, what I teach is perception. I -hmm. teach people how to listen deeply, and I teach people how to focus deeply. Focus and concentration activates the third eye, which moves people into wisdom. There's a chapter I have where I talk about the relationship between focusing in your gut Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. activating the third eye in the middle of the forehead. I think whoever started the concept, follow your gut, I think made a big mistake because Mm -hmm. the gut is the center of emotion. It's the center of feeling, and it's not the center of wisdom. The third eye is the center of wisdom, and as my guides say, perception informs feeling. So how we Mm -hmm. perceive is key. And when people live in their gut, and we're a a solar plexus gut dominant culture, when people Mm -hmm. live in the gut, then the tendency is to become too self-centered. It's what I feel, what I want, what I need, Mm -hmm. and it's not an interconnected perspective. And Mm -hmm. one of the things that nature teaches us is that everything is interconnected. This Mm -hmm. is the environmental um, manifestation of nature, interconnection. So um, I would love to encourage people to learn how to focus looking out of their forehead. This this is a life-altering technique where people start to have an ability to see the perspective of others. There's a much wider understanding. Wisdom is the ability to see the far-reaching impact. So Mm -hmm. I think there's been a lot of misconceptions that have contributed to faulty perceptions and then uh, not wise choices. You you talk in your book, too, you know, your spirit guide's always mm-hmm. talking about, uh, also about clarity. And, um, you know, when you talk about deep focus, deep listening, everything is, you know, really listen, you know. And the third eye technique that, you know, I know your friend called it the TAD technique, I think, <laughs> that you do with yeah. the third eye, yeah. is, is, you know, to me it's interesting and it's pretty simple. And it's like, oh, just even doing just, you know, not just started, and, and it just – it's like you're already calling attention to yourself when you do it. It's just, you know, and so I think that it, it wakes us up a little bit to, to like, hey, you're going to tap in and really focus. And I think that's where we've lost, there's so much. We think we can, you know, do everything all at the same time, and, and it's really not true. Um, being able to, you know, let's multitask is the same thing as the gut instinct. And what I think is so great about your book is it's like, hey, look at this, you know, listen to this. And I believe, like, your technique is really about teaching people how, you know, we always talk about walking someone else's shoes. Well, you virtually teach us how to do that. I mean, it it really is. It's like walking someone else's shoes. Here's how you do it. So you Mm. can really get a true reading. It's it's not just, here, I think Mm. this or I think that. And this whole thing about go with your gut and think this, think that, instead of really knowing, we're now in that level of all we do is operate out of reaction and perception and expectation instead of reality. So it's, it's to me, mind-blowing for probably a lot of people, too, is we're talking to a clairvoyant about reality. <laughs> and a lot of people wouldn't think that, but it's true. It's, it's a good thing. Well, when I when I became aware that I had an ability to um, converse with the spiritual world, I had to ask myself, how did I want to use it? Just like Mm -hmm. my brother, who was a natural musician, he had to decide Mm -hmm. whether he wanted to play the piano or play the guitar. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, again, I grew up in a, my father was a professor. I grew up in an academic environment. Mm -hmm. So what most interested me was understanding how life worked. And so I was drawn to the teachers, the masters, the beings who understood a lot more than I did. 
about life and and its purpose and its meaning. And so I've tried to capture in the in- infinite view my process and this this more expanded perspective of who are we, why are we here, and what is life about. And I mm-hmm. I have a phrase I use, what you focus on is what you see. And mm-hmm. very often we're taught to focus in a certain way in school and focus a certain way through the media, and mm-hmm. people begin to see the way they're told to focus, which is why meditation, the use of the third eye, are so important because we step out of conditioning into a more objective view. Hmm. Yeah, it's true. In the media world, we're taught that good news does not sell. It's just not that sensational. You know, so you have unless to, it's a cat story. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's really true. So people focus on always the bad, and every once in a while a news channel will do well. Here's our heroes, or talk about something good, and it's kind of like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like your attempt at balancing, but you do come away with the feeling that most of what's happening in the world is bad. You never come away with the feeling that most of what's happening in the world is good, mm. ever. It's, it's, again, part of that conditioning. Yeah. And, mm. it, and it could be totally wrong. Mm. Wow. So, Ellen, with this, you, you talk a lot about positivity in the book. In the Infinite View, you talk about positivity, but there's positivity, there's real positivity, and then there's, like, like almost fake positivity. Can you explain yeah, that I part of it? Yeah, I call fake I call fake positivity candy coating. Mm-hmm. Mm. Right. And that's so the positivity you say you talk about really we have to truly believe it and truly start to live it and kind of you talk about even at, at you know, night you, you check in with yourself and like, you know, how how did I handle this situation, that situation? And so we really have to work on like whatever we say, whatever comes out of our mouths, whatever our actions are it's taking, are you going to do this in a positive direction or not? Am, am I right with that? Yes, and I define positivity as attitudes and actions based in spiritual principles. So attitudes are a combination of thoughts and feelings. So mm-hmm. are we being loving? Are we being uh, balanced? But, you know, truth is also a spiritual principle, and sometimes the truth does not wear a pretty face. And that also is positivity, that if um, if something is actually happening and it's really messy or ugly or not ideal, this too is positivity. And I think that it's a problem when people think that positivity means avoiding weaknesses, because mm-hmm. weaknesses can become our greatest teachers, but we have to be willing to look at them and to recognize they're not bad, just a part of the learning process. Mm. And I think because we do kind of categorize this is good, this is bad, instead of, um, okay, I need to know this. This is not the most enjoyable process, but I need to know it so I can fix it or change it. But if you're going to just, okay, this is good, that's bad, move on, then you don't really interact in making a change. Mm. Yes. Mm. When when you think about, when you talk about, like, okay, we're taking it and these are our lessons, part of what I think in society is we really do feel like we have to get everything done now and it has to be perfect now. We need to get that raise. We need to, you know, do all these things. Do you feel that... Um, one of the biggest parts, obviously, the infinite view is that, I mean, we talk about coming back, and um, this isn't our first dance in, in the world, right, in, on earth. It, this, this is something that I think is really important, and we do discuss about this, because it kind of gives, to me, a little bit of a breather that you, you, we don't have to be the perfectionist. We still have to work. We still have to do everything, but it isn't like we have to do it now, because it's it's not the end of the world, let's put it that way. <laughs> So so my guides define balance as the midpoint between action and non-action and that we tend to have a culture that 
says, doing is better than not doing. Speaking is better than listening. Being directive is better than being receptive. And because of that, we have a very imbalanced world. When we recognize that what's important is to be balanced as we move through life, then there's no pushing or rushing. There's the feeling of flow. People talk about flow. Well, flow is an internal balance of doing, not doing, listening, and speaking. It's in, in China, they call it the balance of the yin and the yang. And so the idea of trying to do as much as possible and get there as fast as you can because that's winning the race is contrary to balance. It's the difference between working hard and working smart. And so what I see is the third eye in the middle of the forehead is the center of wisdom and it's the center of discernment. And it's through deep focus that we can discern, do I speak or do I listen? Do I act or do I wait? And stress is either pushing or holding back. Balance does not have stress. Hmm. This is like having a dam, like if the dam is going to overflow and there's that pushing against the dam wall, you know. Yes, <laughs> like, do you put your finger yeah. in the dike or do you not? Yeah, or do you let the river have its natural flow? I'm just saying. The water yeah. must go home. I know. I, I love that. You know, it's like when I don't when I think about how worked up we get, you know, and it's mm. like that flow to me is so important because then – we can have that clarity, and, and I think that's one of the, the big parts of your book is this clarity. And one of the parts I... 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. really love is that you really go in depth on fear and anxiety I mean, I know right now the, the country or around the world, I mean, you've got to think about what just happened in Manchester with the bombings, what um, has happened you know, just mm. recently with Chris Cornell, the musician. People are looking at what's going on with anxiety. And um, you look at all of these things that are going on, and people freak out, and there's a lot of fear, and it just keeps getting heightened in some way because it's almost like fear and anxiety becomes a very familiar friend to us as individuals? Well, I think one of the important reasons we come to the earth is to work through our fears. Mm. I've been taught when I'm afraid to really dive into it, understand what the fear is, understand what the mm. antidote is. Mm. And what I've been taught, and I write it, have a chapter on the relationship between fear and desire, is what I've found in working with large numbers of people is that what we most desire and what we most fear are the same thing. And that as mm -hmm. we work through our fear, we're able to actualize and manifest our desire. And as we avoid working through our fear, then the ability to manifest our desire becomes diminished. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we have a lot of fear because we're taught that, that we should try to control our lives and try to have everything be the way we want it to be. But that's not how life works. It's, it's up and down. There's ease, there's challenge. It's not so much about trying to hammer life flat as much as learning to ride the ups and downs of life with wisdom and with um, love 
and to be able to navigate the complexity with our spiritual nature. And this is this is still going to mean that we're going to have challenges. But we can do that. We can meet challenges and still maintain an internal harmony. Hmm. That's truly true. And you talk about destiny and, and our choices in life, right? Can we avoid this incident happening? But there's that balance, too. Like the fear and anxiety part and, you know, fear and desire, um, there's that balance again. And there's there's two words that come from your book for me that resonated. And you talk about, you know, finding your word. And it's it's funny, like just going through it and all of a sudden, like, boom, endurance and that is like to me endurance and balance which i think are related was like just a huge word that just appeared everywhere as i was reading your book and i think that's such a cool word because it means you know you're in it for the long haul which means you don't have to sprint you're allowed to like i was always better at cross-country running because i could hold this i didn't have to like you know be a really fast runner because I'm not good at that. Nobody wants to see that. But I will finally get there. I'll finish the race. I may not make it first, but I will finish the race if I can do it in the long haul. And I, to me, that that is what just made me so happy about reading your book. I'm like, I can do this. <laughs> I've got endurance, you know. And it's hard yeah. to have endurance. Yeah. It's hard. It's not easy. Well, and um, yes, and and you know, it's not just about getting to the goal. It's about the quality of the experience and the learning on the way. So, um, you know, it's it's moving out of goal orientation into a deeper understanding of of what we're doing here. And everyone has a story. You know, I don't emphasize reincarnation a lot in this book, although I do believe in reincarnation. Mm. I see that there is life before birth and life after death. And um and I think mm. if if people began to ask and listen, who am I? Why am I here? Then it moves daily life into a deeper sense of purpose and meaning and waking up with a sense of purpose is is so critical to quality of life. Mm. Mm-hmm. That is so true because I think that when people decide they don't have a purpose is when they really get depressed and into trouble. And then you're living in reactionary yeah, survival mode you, too. You really do need to have, mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds wonderful to, to be rich and not have to do anything, but I, I think that if you're rich and you can do anything you want, that if you don't find a purpose within that, you're going to be as miserable as if you were not rich. And mm-hmm. I'm talking about money rich. I'm talking about life experience rich. I'm talking about because most people just, oh, they want money so bad. They want the material things to feel secure. And and it's kind of like a house of cards, you know. It's, it, it, it's just so not what it looks like it's going to be. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yes, and I think our environmental problems on our planet really bring up the point mm. that really no one is secure in the material world. Life in the material world is temporary. We're all here temporarily. We all eventually die, and yet our consciousness continues. Even mm-hmm. as a child, I had out-of-body experiences, and I knew that I wasn't my body because my consciousness would be out of my body and I would see my body asleep on the bed and I I knew that my true identity was not limited to my physical form. That's a really odd feeling. You've had that. I had that once after a car accident being put into an ambulance where I went to the top of the ambulance. So I'm sure there's going to be a medical whatever explanation. But I looked down at my body, and I saw myself, and I went, man, you look dead. And then the the other, the man who hit my car was also put into the same ambulance, and he said, 
was that girl whatever I hit okay? And I'm like, I'm coming back, man. Don't you talk about me that way. <laughs> and it was a weird, it was a really weird experience. But I could see, and I, I just, and then forever the lawyers and the doctors said I passed out after that. And I remember coming to in the hospital, and I kept saying, I didn't pass out. They're like, yes, you did. Yes, you did. The lawyer's like, now we have this big, you know, case going on. He's like, you passed out. Shut up. You passed out. <laughs> like, no, I didn't. Well, your body passed out, but your consciousness was alert. Mm. I know, and I was like, no, I didn't pass out. Well, but, this, but this is the consciousness part, and I love this. It seems that over the last two years, we've done more interviews with people talking about consciousness, experts talking about consciousness, and from most of them saying that was a dirty word. And I think, it, I, I don't know if I just grew up in a, a different environment where it was just part of life to look at things, it understand things, weird. and have this inner dialogue. And reading your book, like I said, really helped me in understanding, like, you can have this dialogue with yourself. I mean, it's okay. And I wonder, I wanted to touch on this. You know, you talk about your experience of starting to understand, you know, you know, being outside your body, looking down. And um, there's, I think, I know I've had them, and I just want to bring this up because I think there's a lot of people in the world that have all kinds of experiences, and you are scared to talk to people, and it may not mean that we're at the level of being a clairvoyant or, you know, being able to do all these things, or maybe you're on the path to, but aren't we all in some way supposed to be tapping into all of this because of the connectivity between us all and nature too, trees? I mean, all of it. Aren't we all connected and being, if we opened up to it, can't we have conversations with everybody? Well, yes, we're all spirit and we're all human. And um, little children have lots of experiences before they go to school. And Mm -hmm. then it gets conditioned out of most people because of Mm -hmm. the way that we're taught to perceive. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, two-year-olds, three-year-olds very commonly will remember their past lives. Mm Hmm. So where does the animal world come in on this? Because I know for me, personally, my connection goes way there before it does the human side. Sorry, people. <laughs> well, I, I animals, feel that. animals have Go souls, ahead. too. And what I see Thank is you. that we stay, within, we stay within the human kingdom in the reincarnation process. So we can be mm. male or female or any race. So we stay within the kingdom, and animals stay within their kingdom. My mm-hmm. dog had a past life as a lion, and my cat had a past life as an owl. So wow. they incarnate really? cool. in the but you animal can talk kingdom, to them, right? You can <laughs> talk to them. You can communicate, right? Yes, they do communicate. I I always had Thank to be you. really careful because my dog could always know when I was going to go outside and get in the car and. He always wanted to come, you know. He'd pick right up on my yeah. thoughts. So, what okay. do you, what do you, what about people feeling things? Do you think they should explore it? I mean, can can they get into? I mean, people go, okay, once you open that door, like if you, you know, then the then devil's the gonna devil's going to come and get you, right? And to me, that's that's whatever. But I, I, I just wanted to ask you that because to me, it's I mean. I mean, I talk to people all the time, and especially when they've passed over, I almost feel like I have a more in-depth relationship once they've passed over. It's odd, but it's true. It's like you can almost be more real when someone is – this sounds terrible, but you you can you can resolve things, and it could be me talking, but this is why I like your book too because it's like where where is your mind versus what, what that – beyond the gut instinct again, right, that, that gut vibe. Yeah. Um, So there's a phrase I use, which is positivity is our greatest protection. And Mm -hmm. so it's very important to cultivate positivity. There is many different kinds of dead people as there are alive people. And Mm -hmm. there are, you know, people you wouldn't want to invite home for dinner and there are people that you would want to invite home for dinner. So what protects us from negativity is our own positivity. 
So cultivating positive attitudes really helps us to not be vulnerable to beings in the spiritual world who are not for our highest good. So how do you know when they're like maybe someone that is there as your spirit guide versus someone that's just bumping and saying, hey, how you doing? I'll see you in the next round or, you know, I'm coming back down or whatever. Like how well, do you know when it's truly a spirit guide? Well, it's a complicated question, and yeah. I, I don't think I can give you a one-sentence okay. answer. But this is why my book is a tool book because the – process of learning to meditate, to activate the third eye, cultivate positivity. These are all mm. prerequisites. I don't mm-hmm. focus so much on teaching people how to access their guides, although they sure. can. But before I would teach that, I would want someone to strengthen their own clarity, their own wisdom, their positivity, their own disciplines, so that when they're ready to start connecting to someone in the spiritual world, They'll be in a very strong position, and that mm. will be a protective approach. Cool. That's, I, that's the thing I think what I love the most is just you've really put it into straight. It, it's just such a straight-up book. Like, here, this you know, this is how you, meditation seems to be a big part of it. I mean, it's, it's a huge part of it. And, and the, the thing, too, I wanted to touch on is um, – people shouldn't stray away from it. I mean, because you, you give some actual simple steps on meditating, and I think some people go, oh, I can't, my brain chatters too much, and, the, you know, the monkey mind and all that. But you give some good points on how to slip right into it, into meditation. Yes, and, you know, meditation means different things to different people. And for me, it's not a relaxation exercise as much as learning to still the brain chatter and listen, <coughs> excuse me, and listen deeply. And when people have trouble meditating, it's because their crown chakras aren't open. In the chakra system, the crown chakra is the bridge from the material to the spiritual dimension. It's the golden halo in religious pictures. And what opens it is trust, devotion, and inspiration. What closes it is fear, worry, and discouragement. And what I (coughs) emphasize is that the opening of the crown chakra is a prerequisite to having a deep meditation. That if the crown chakra isn't open, then yes, you will likely struggle with brain chatter. So understanding how to use inspiration to open the crown first is really is really a key concept. So basically we need to call you Third Eyed Ted. <laughs> That's what it is. It's your new nickname here on Big One Radio, Third Eye, because it really helps. I mean, that seems to be, you know, we hear about the third eye, but it's almost like that's the Egyptian side of things, and is it really there, you know? And and you even talk about, like, we don't even know where the third eye is, a lot of us, and it's not where we all think it is. It's it's like right in the middle, right of our forehead. Yes, yes. You know, in mythology and stuff, there's the evil eye. It's not that, right? No. Or is well, you know, they also the, call it the God's eye. Oh. It's hmm. the God's eye. It's the, you know, I'm not Christian any more than I'm Buddhist or any religion, but mm-hmm. I love a quote from the Bible in Matthew, which is, if thy eye be single, the whole body will be filled with light. Hmm. Hmm. It's like a portal. Mm. It's our portal. It's cool. I like this. This is... Meditation is key. I wanted to ask you because I know that you take morning walks, and we've started this thing just through articles and interviews and videos, and we just opened a brand new Facebook group to get people to post and you know really get out there and at least take a one-hour walk once a week. And our whole thing is, you know, it's like you don't have to be the fittest person, and and a lot of times people, you know, we we're big advocates of going into nature and into national parks and and state parks and all of that. And a lot of times when we talk about it, and we just came back from traveling nonstop on doing this for over three years, and people seem to think that they have to be, you know, some super athlete to go into a national park. And it dawned on us, like, we found, you know, we're slow because we're photographing and we're looking at every flower and every bug. And we've realized even in our parks, like, people will be hiking or on some, you know, they'll look, oh, what a great view, but they're missing so much by going so fast and maybe you're doing it for athletic reasons that's one thing but 
we're finding that that distraction of like even walking in a city when someone could walk into a light post because they're on their phone. Yeah. It's the same thing. And so our thing, we just want people to get out there and walk. So from your perspective, how can that benefit us spiritually and in um, just even, you know, for our own, our spiritual soul? Well, I've been walking pretty regularly um, an hour most days for um, for almost 40 years. So this is this is just part of my life. And I originally started walking because I needed the exercise. And mm-hmm. um, but but it's one of my great joys. I love walking. So I'm thrilled that you're encouraging people to do this. I think it's it's good on so many levels. It's good mm. because it tones the body, but it also helps us to detox. And what I found is that when we're being extroverted and moving our bodies, it also expands the aura. It makes us less likely to over-absorb our environment and makes it easier to stay positive and um, be a positive contributor. And I think it, uh, you know, I live, I used to live in nature and I used to walk in nature. Now I live in Boston, but uh, we have a loop, which is about an hour. And we walk around the river, the Charles River that runs through Boston on one side and Cambridge on the other. So we, we go over one bridge and then over another bridge and um, the Mass Ave Bridge to the Cambridge side and then the, um, Salton Stall Bridge back over to the Boston side, and it's um, it's a wonderful way to start the day. It's invigorating. I find that it helps me to clear my mind, and my husband and I usually do it together, and we talk about everything. So it's 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 a wonderful addition mm-hmm. to creating a quality life. Mm. To me, sometimes it's meditative in the mornings because we go first thing. We try to do it at run right before sunrise because we're in the desert and it's already 100 degrees out here. So we're ah. it's a little cozy. So we go out like now we're we're getting up around in the four between. We have to be out of the house before five in the morning to do it. And what's really neat is you see everybody waking up. The birds are out there, and there is mm. this like your you know when you talk about connectivity. I feel like going in the morning there is this. Or at the end of the day, there's something too. But it's just for us, there's this early morning thing. And even when we're traveling, I love to drive into places at daybreak just to see how everybody's waking up. And there's just this positive start to the day where you know, like, hey, you know, the birds are out. We may have seen a little bird attack a hawk today, which was true. That was awesome. It was crazy. But (laughs) there's this... I don't know, there's this connectivity to the place that you're in. Whether you're visiting or living there, there's this connectivity that comes from that. And maybe that's that aura part you're talking about, you know. And I think the more people do this, the more conversations they'll have, too. I think that's a good point that you brought up, too, having these conversations. But I think sometimes it's about realizing how much is actually in Mm -hmm. your world Mm -hmm. because you're taking the time to see it. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Ellen, normally I ask people, well, normally for this last week <laughs> since we've been doing this, um, we've been working on this for like two to three years and it dawned on us what to do with it. Um, but when I always ask people if they could walk anywhere with anybody in the world, who would it be and where would they do it? And I'm like, well, you could walk with anybody, right, virtually, because like, you teach us how to do that, how to like understand someone you've just met, like snap into their lives. But, like, really, if you could walk anywhere with anybody, like, in the physical form, who would it be? Gee, I think I have to give that some thought. Um, Huh. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. You can talk to anybody. (laughs) I've always wanted to have a, you know, a, a walking vacation. I haven't oh. done that, but the idea of walking um, in Italy or in England and just walking from one one town to the next and having a backpack, um, I uh, I love walking as a mode of travel. When I was young, I lived in Mexico, and I walked oh. everywhere. 
and it it was like exactly what you said, the sense of ability to really experience the location because you're mm. in it. You're not driving yeah. by it. You're in it. You're part of mm. it. But as far as mm. who I would choose to walk with above anyone else, I don't know. I, I would need to. There's so many people I enjoy walking with. I don't know if I can her. pick one person above another. She's a Pied Piper. That's what will happen. Hmm. <laughs> That's what happens when you go. I think you're right about the walking tours. I mean, I know that there's that one that people do in Spain where they walk, like, through all the missions and everything. The El Camino. Really El Camino. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, that yeah. would be neat to do. Yeah. It's 500 wow, it's amazing. miles. Wow. I would do it. I would totally do it. I, there's this thing about walking that I feel like is part of our bodies and part of our nomadic heritage from you know centuries ago that that that's part of who we are i don't know i can't explain it but i know that we're all supposed to walk that's part of part of where we've become materialistic is because we don't walk as much and the more we start walking the more we won't be using cars as much and you know dirting our environment but there's this connectivity again you see more yeah. yes and i think that that's i mean on the big scale i just feel like the the day we stopped going out and foraging for food and picking our own berries and things. I know we have to change and the world changes and that's fine, but there's certain things that we can still do. Well, the connection you know. to what we need to survive yeah. went away. Mm -hmm. Now we're told what we need yeah. as opposed to knowing right. and being taught what we need yeah. and going and doing it. And Ellen, you give us so many tools in your book. Everyone, the book is The Infinite View, a guidebook for life on earth. You can go to ellentad.com, and that's T-A-D-D.com, two Ds there. She's on Twitter, Facebook, Amazon, all the bookstores. Go get it. Um, seriously, uh, very informative, great stories in there that really explain, like give you examples and that you can relate to for sure. Um, really just uh, one of the best books I've read all year for sure. Thank you so much, Ellen. Thank, Thank you. you for writing Thank you, Lisa. Not Thank you, Nancy. <laughs> Thank you so much. You take care and enjoy your walk tomorrow. I will. You too. Thank I'll be you. inspired to start <laughs> earlier because of you. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, you might get a, well, yeah, it's summertime over there kind of, right? So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's cool. Like seeing the sunrise is like there's nothing like it on earth. Even if it's a small sunrise, it's like still like cool, man. Look at that. Nature's <laughs> changing right there. It reminds us that it does. The sun always rises, even if there's a cloud. So, good stuff. Thank you. You take care. Thank you. Thank you again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Ninety-two percent of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. Ninety-two percent because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. Ninety-two percent stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash try.